Welcome to the podcast of Revival Fires. This week's message from our Gates of Glory gathering is by Ken Gott. We want to invite you to our upcoming Prophetic Seers gathering with guest speakers Jane Hammond and Phil Whitehead. From Thursday the 16th till Saturday the 18th of November, visit our website for registration, www.revivalfires.org.uk. Wow. So, um, sometimes it's a challenge when you're uh, speaking for a host that uh, is so kind of se- spiritually sensitive. Because <laughs> whenever I prepare what I'm going to share, he gets up before me. And he just like, I, I, I said to Corey, I said, there he is. Oh, he's off again, look. He's, he's going to preach my sermon. And uh, it worked so well yesterday, so I'm sure, I think he's like the, uh, he's the John the Baptist, you know, he's trailblazing and uh, preparing the way, preparing the way. Not that he's John the Baptist and I'm the Lord or anything like that, but <laughs> he's just preparing the way. And it's, uh, it's been so good here. Listen, um, I want to say this with all sincerity, and uh, I have my assistant with me who travels with me, he knows I don't say this. But uh, when I come here, I, I really do feel family. I really do. Uh, I've known Trevor and Sharon for 20 years or so. And uh, we've, we've come very, very similar journeys. And uh, just the, f- with the way they are with their family is the same and just the setup here and everything else. And, and it's just so easy for... Myself, and if Lois was here, she'd say the same thing, just to come in. And uh, I don't feel like a visitor. I really don't. I just feel like I'm, um, I'm visiting a family member. <laughs> and, uh, and so I appreciate that. I've always appreciated our relationship, and uh, it's been very, very precious. And I had to Google Brian Long <laughs> to find out who he was when... Uh, when I found out who the other speaker was, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry about that, Brian, but we have never met. This is the first time ever, but uh, we should have met, and maybe we did meet in another life somewhere, because we should have met, because uh, there is just such a kindred thing there, and, and when you're with people that you've never met, but you're, you're, you're with them, you think, yeah, you know, we, 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 we've known each other for years, <laughs> and it's just been like that, and Brian, it's been great just being with you as well. Hallelujah. Oh, glory. Glory, glory. Do you have your Bibles? And if you do, you can turn to the person next to you and say, I've got mine. And if you haven't got yours, then just borrow the, borrow the one of the person next to you. I'm reading from the New King James because it'll be the one in heaven. And uh, so, you know, there won't be a version in heaven. You know that, don't you? We won't need the Bible because we'll have the Word. Amen? The living Word. But for now, it's the nearest thing to heaven, the new King James. Did I give you the scripture? No. Okay. 2 Kings 6. 2 Kings 6. Verse 
All right, so we're at this point of time where um, we're with Elisha, who is the, uh, the prophet of the double portion. Now, if things were to go on, then um, there was Elijah and then his servant Elisha. And when Elisha was asked, what do you want? He says, I want double, that's on you. I think he probably said, at least double. That's on you. So we know him as the prophet of the double portion, which um, it seems to me just logical that, that the next generation would have a greater anointing, that they would do much, much more, that his servant would be the prophet of four times the anointing that Elijah actually had. Um, but I think Elisha's thinking... Um, well, why, why just put that on one person? Let's have a school. And so here we have the school of the prophets. These are men who have given up, paid the cost or paid the price to study in the prophetic ministry under Elisha. Wouldn't you like to go to that school? Wouldn't that be fantastic? And so it says, and the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, see now the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Now they are the words that we should always hear from the next generation. The place where you dwelt is fantastic. But for me, it's too small. Now, we should just allow that to happen because that is spiritual progress. It should always be the next generation goes further, does more, achieves much, much more. I want my sons, and I have two son-in-laws in ministry. One leads the church right now, and the other one is our full-time worship leader. So with their wives, they're leading the church together and and um, I, I always say to my girls, you know, that they married really, really well. They gave me incredible sons-in-law with just gifts and abilities and anointings. But uh, they're my sons-in-law, but really I feel like they're my sons, really. And uh, so I understand where it says the sons of the prophets, you know, because eventually it becomes, a, it becomes more than just team, it becomes more than just um, young men and women around you just uh, learning from you and assisting to you. They become your family in that sense. And uh, I want those boys with my daughters to do much more than I ever did. I'm doing much, much more than my father-in-law did who brought me into the ministry, who invited me onto his staff. At 30 years old, he says, I want you to come and I want you to be our youth leader. And well, I wanted to come into the ministry, but I wasn't quite sure whether I wanted to be a youth pastor. But So I just said yes, because it was a door in. So I just said yes. And I lasted a year being a youth leader, because I hated it. <laughs> I just hated youth ministry. I hated everything about it. You know, it's like... When, if you're going to be a youth pastor, you have to be extrovert and, and just out there, you know. 
not shy and retiring like Margaret and me, you know, not, 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 not like that. No, you have to be, you have to be not my personality. So I'm an introvert off the platform, um, basically shy by nature, off the platform. And then you made a youth leader, it's hell on earth. It really is. It's this that. Why? Because youth talk to you. That's why. They want to talk to you. They want to do things. They want to, they're jumping up and down in front of you and thinking, oh, God. I just. And, 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 and after a year, I said to my father-in-law, I said, Dad, listen, it's not working. He says, why not? He says, the youth meetings are great. I'm getting good reports. I said, I don't care. I'm in hell. And <clears throat> I said, send me to Sunderland. And I'll plant a church for you. And by this time, I've got about 60 people uh, through our house group ministry. So I've built it up to about 60 people. And I said, uh, I'll take these people and we'll do a Sunday night. And we did a Sunday night and, and then we did a Sunday morning. And then after a year, we cut the umbilical cord. We were um, financially independent after that, built the team. And then, then the, re the renewal came. And I was 39 years old. And uh, by this time, my father-in-law's retired. And uh, we would go down to the meetings together sometimes. And uh, he says, uh, Ken, I'm going down tonight. I says, what do you mean? He says, uh, I'm going on the floor. This is a man that never went on the floor. He didn't laugh. <laughs> he didn't manifest anything. He just stood there, received it. And sat down. He was one of these kind of old classical Pentecostal guys, you know, very austere, very together, you know, ramrod black backbone. He just walked tall and just, you know, if he walked in the room, you went, ooh, like this, you know, he just had a presence about him. And here he is saying to me, he says, I'm going down. And I says, well, why, why, why? He says, um, he says, I'm going down because I heard some of the young guys saying, um, you don't have to go down. Well, of course, you don't have to go down. But he was hearing these young guys saying, you don't have to go down. And one of them saying, why, why, why are you saying that? He says, because Herbert Harrison never goes down. And he's like the father. And he never goes down. And he says, I heard that conversation. And he says, so I'm never, ever going to be an excuse for anybody not to receive what the Holy Spirit has for them. He says, so I'm going down tonight. I'm just going to kill that one. <laughs> so I said, okay. I thought this will be fun. And uh, so he joins the line, as we did in those days. He joins the line. I can see him there. And I can see this young guy on the ministry team coming up to him. And he was a big, tall guy, six foot two. And uh, he puts his hand on him like this. And he says, Come Holy Spirit like this. And then Herbert looks, checks behind him, makes sure there's a catcher and does, <laughs> and, and does a courtesy drop right there. Boom. And I saw this young guy go, whoa. And I think he wanted to say, did you see that? That was me. <laughs> Nobody else has ever got him down and he's gone down. There was sheer amazement on this young guy. 
Herbert stared down. And I wandered over to him, and there he was. And there were tears running down his cheeks. Just tears. This was a man not emotional in any way. Never showed emotion. Grew up as a pauper in the, in the slums of Manchester. Went to school with, his, with an oversized jumper held together with safety pins. And if he had a pair of shoes, it was a good day. He certainly didn't wear socks. He would go to the market and scrape the cheese bits off the, off the market stall, put them in a bag so he could go home and, and the family could have somebody. Just abstract poverty, just grew up. Illegitimate. Learned to gamble when he was 14. Professionally at 14 years old. Took his life in his hands. After they found out that he was cheating, uh, they would have just killed him. But uh, I might as well tell the story now because it, it's like uh, just the power, the power of the gospel. One day his mother decided that she would, she would take her life. It was just too hard. And so she went to the shops one, more, one last time to buy a few little bits to keep in the house because when, the, when, Her, when Herbert and his sister Marjorie, who were both illegitimate, came into the house they would find her dead but they would have something to eat this was her plan and so she was going to put her head in the gas oven and she was just going to go to sleep and never wake up but on the way to do this this gypsy woman puts a track in her hand she didn't even know it was a track she was just passing by she said, thank you, put it in her purse, and went to do what she planned to do. But while she's preparing to do this, she remembers this piece of paper that was put in her hand. And so she takes it out of her purse, and she begins to read it, and it's a gospel track, and she reads about the Lord Jesus Christ. And on the track was a stamp. So this is not printers and internet and all of that. This is a stamp, a rubber stamp with a little chapel's address and the time of the service. And so she decided not to take her life that day and go to chapel. And she went to chapel and she heard the gospel and she got saved. And she got really saved. You know, I've said to people, there's been saved and then there's, be, then there's really saved. See, so as a kid, I got saved every week because I wasn't happy with myself. So every Sunday, whoop, <laughs> and uh, I'd get saved every week until I was 17. Then I got really saved. So I know the difference. She got really saved. And our life changed. Not our circumstances too much, but our life changed. And she told Herbert about Jesus, and he says that. And he was cursing and swearing, and he was just one of these kind of guys. And she said, Herbert, you need to come to chapel. No. And he said, do not ask me that again. Mother, do not ask me that ever again. But she did. And he says, okay, I'll come once. Fatal mistake. Well, not fatal. Wait, yeah, fatal. It was fatal. It was definitely fatal. Fatal mistake. He says, I'll come once, and once I've been, that's it. 
of you in. And he sat at the back, transfixed, heard the gospel. And Herbert Harrison, who became one of this country's prolific evangelists, walked to the front and got saved. And he got really saved. By this time, he's working in a foundry. He's working with men that strip down to the waist and they shovel coal into the ovens. Hard work, hard men, hard drinking, played hard, drank hard, beat their wives up hard and uh, just lived a hard life. One by one, he got them saved. Can you imagine this? This young teenage boy, one by one, the Holy Spirit would tell him ways of getting... He noticed that one guy, one guy came and, and in, his, in his lunch bag, it's a paper bag, was a cream bun every day, a cream bun. So this is not cream tea, you know, this is not a scone. This is a bun that had cream on, a bit of jam on the top. You know the type I mean? Yeah, of course you do. You're nearly from the north here, aren't you? Yeah, you're nearly from the north. So cream bun... Every day. So Herbert decided he would find out where he got that. And he followed him and saw the baker that he called into every day. So he bought one for himself. He sat down beside him. And he, as he pulled out his cream bun, he pulled out his cream bun. And uh, he says, you got a cream bun? He says, oh, I love cream buns. He probably had never, ever had one in the whole of his life. But he wanted a connection. He just wanted a connection that would just get them talking he led them to Jesus over a cream bun and then he hears one of the, another guy whistling whistling a tune he picked up the tune he knew what it was it was Tchaikovsky Herbert even though he was born a pauper even though he was brought up in abstract poverty loved Tchaikovsky it's amazing eh loved just if he could put the radio on. And so the BBC would play Tchaikovsky concerts, the Royal Philharmonic or whatever. And so he's listening to it this night. The next day, he passes this guy and he says, did you enjoy the concert last night on the radio? The guy looks at him and says, what do you mean? He says, uh, the Tchaikovsky concert, did you enjoy it? He said, uh, how did you know I'd be listening to that? He says, I've heard you whistling. He says, I love Tchaikovsky. He says, so do I. He says, whenever it's on the radio, I, I, I stop everything and listen to it. They sat down. He wanted to Jesus over Tchaikovsky. One by one, systematically, he won those guys, hard guys, stripped of the waist, working in the foundry to the Lord. Showed me a picture once. There's like 10 men. He's one of them. Two rows of five. He says, Ken, look at this. And he had it framed. And they were all in what I would call all Robert suits, you know. Because he was the big deal at that time. And so people dressed like him. Big, remember the suits with the big wide lapels? They like came to your shoulder. And some were double breasted and that and ties and and they were wearing trilby hats and things like that, you know. 
before your time, but I'm old enough to remember it. And so they're all dressed like that. Not the hats on, but there were hats were there, but they, they were just dressed like that. And they were just there. He says, see, all of these men, I won everyone to Jesus. And he says, here's something I want to tell you. Every single one of them is in the ministry now. Every single one of them. Is that the picture, Corey? How many is there? Twelve. Twelve. He says, I want everyone. And everyone is in full-time ministry. And there's the picture right there. He was prolific. Incred- incredible. Joint Hope Missions. I'm watching the time. It's all right. I haven't started yet. We'll get the two kings. I know where I'm at. But, you know, sometimes when the Holy Spirit just pulls something out, you just got to let it ride out because it's for people here. And so he went to Peter Head. Peter Head as a home missions worker in a caravan. Obviously pulled by a car, but in a caravan. And in the caravan slept three men. A pianist, a convener, and the preacher. And they would tour the country saving souls for Jesus. Now, you can't do this now. You know, we need, we need just to do it differently. But the same spirit needs to be there. And so they went to Peterhead. Do you know where, how far Peterhead is? I mean, it is top right-hand corner, top northeast of Scotland. It's fishermen. They fish. They go out towards Iceland and Norway and all of that. They fish in the North Sea. And they come back and they, they sell their fish. And uh, while he, when he rolls up, they have these leaflets, these posters, and they put them on... on um, on lampposts and they're advertising a crusade, the three of them. They're not known. You can't search the internet. You, you can't. They're not on TV. They're not anything. They're three young men just showed up. They don't even have a place to meet. And they, they, they have to look for a, for a hall of some kind. They're not even invite, invited by a church. They just show up in the town. Anyway, they find a back room of this lady's house, a back room that is big enough to put 30, 40 people in, and they set it all out in chairs, and they have a a piano, and they, they start the meetings. I was watching a Benny Hinn program in England. This is your day. And Benny was interviewing a guy by the name of Philip Cameron. And Philip Cameron was telling how his family were a family of evangelists. That they were all over the world and he was in Canada and they were leading thousands and thousands of people to Jesus. They had a a Bible school back there in Scotland called Faith Acres. And... uh, And that he himself was seeing hundreds and hundreds of people coming to know the Lord. And Benny said to him, how did you get saved? 
He says, oh, uh, oh, he says, it wasn't me that got saved. It was my grandmother who got saved. And the whole family got saved and we became the Camerons of, of what we are today. And he said, so tell me the story. How did your grandmother get saved? He says, well, a young evangelist came to Peter Head by the name of Herbert Harrison. And Benny said, no, not Lois God's father. This is on, this is your day. And he said, um, well, I don't know Lois God. He says, but the guy was Herbert Harrison. He says, yeah, that's Lois God's father. He says, I know Herbert Harrison. I know Herbert Harrison through the family. When Herbert Harrison was dying, Benny Hinn took a private jet and prayed for my father-in-law, prepared him to go to heaven and flew back. He says, I know Herbert Harrison. He says, well, Herbert Harrison came and my mother, who was a fisherman's wife, she swore like the men, drank like the men, smoked like the men, fought like the men. She was the matriarch of the family. She, like, nothing passed her. Nothing was done without her. Nothing was said without her permission. She was, yeah, the boss lady. She got saved. While the men were out fishing, she went to the meeting and got saved. And she got really saved. When the men came back, they said, what happened to you? She said, I got saved. And so will you. <laughs> and the whole family got saved, turned that whole northeast area of Fraserborough, Peterhead, all of those areas, turned it around and opened a Bible school, trained evangelists. And Philip Cameron saying we're still at it. Because one young man went to a chapel because a gypsy woman gave his mother a track. I don't know how many people are in heaven right now because of Herbert Harrison, my, my father-in-law. I don't know. But I'm going to say millions. Because he saved tens of thousands on his own. But the people that he got saved became soul winners. And they saved tens of thousands. So it's hundreds of thousands, it's millions. And then if you take the Camerons and how many they got saved, it's millions and millions. Because a gypsy woman. Who? No, but who are you talking about? Whoa. So I'm, see, I'm telling the truth. This is not a lie. And it's just, I'm telling the truth. <laughs> oh, shika baba. Oh, taraba. Oh, oh shalabaha. Oh, shika garaba bushikina. Oh, raba. Hey, there's something here right now. There's something here. There's a camera in here. There's a Herbert Harrison here. 
Maybe more than one. Maybe a few. Maybe the Holy Spirit said, I used to be like that. I was fearless like that. Because I got really saved. And I told people I'm saved and, and you will be as well. Huh. I mean, all right. Friendship evangelism works for some. But sometimes, sometimes it just needs the gospel. Sometimes it just needs somebody to say, are you saved? You see, the same spirit that rested upon these people. On Herbert, on the Camerons and others. It's the same spirit that rests on us. Whoa. And now he's lying on the floor in this renewal meeting. And there's tears running down his eyes. He's an old man now. He's an old man. And I didn't know he was going to die very soon, but he wasn't, he wasn't far from going to be with Jesus. And as we're going home, I said, so what happened then? He says, Ken, I went down like, like I said I would. I wasn't going to give any young man in another generation any kind of excuse. I was never going to be their ceiling. I wanted to be their floor. He says, but when I hit the floor, I met the Lord. He says, he came to me there as I'm on the floor and I didn't want to get up. I didn't want, so I says, I just stayed there and I just lay there. And he says, I started to weep. He says, I know, I, I saw it. I says, what was happening? He said, all my life, I've won people to Jesus, but never seen a revival. And as I was lying there, I was just thanking the Lord that he kept me alive long enough to live through a revival. I loved him. I'm a product of him. I'm doing much more than him. He never was one to go to the nations. He was never one to, 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 to do what I'm doing. No, I'm doing much more. I'm, I'm fulfilling much more. I don't know in terms of that evangelism that I'm still a junior partner in, in that regard. But the anointing upon me is certainly double for the nations that it was on him. It, it needs to be like that. And I'm looking at my boys and I'm saying, Lord, and men like Corey, who's of a similar age, put four times on them. That's on me. And then, and then the next generation, I'm looking at my son-in-law, who's called Elijah. I mean, he's got no chance with a name like that. And he'll be the next generation. That's Tim's son. And I'm looking at him and I'm thinking, I think he's the carrier. I have a closer relationship with Caleb. But Elijah, I feel, is the carrier. And I'm thinking, God, let's not even put numbers on this one. Let it just go. Let him just, let him just go to the nations. Let him, let, him, let him be like Elijah the prophet and more.
We need the generations coming to us and saying, it was all right for you, but not for us. See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. And I want to say to the church here, I want to say to the leadership, that the words now of verse 2 need to start coming out of your mouth because because of verse 1. The place where you're at right now is too small for you. Now I'm not talking about this campus, this building. This is not about building. This, this is about influence. This is about authority. This is, this is about kingdom expansion. The place where you're at right now at this moment in time is too small for you. Now listen, I've only been here three days. And in these three days, I've just watched in the spirit doors swinging open. Just doors into, doors into council, doors into steering groups, doors into social justice, doors. I've only been here three days. And I'm seeing demolition. I'm seeing... I'm seeing buildings going down and I'm sitting with counselors and MPs and I'm saying, and we're doing this and we're doing this and we're doing this. I mean, it is obvious what God is about to do with you. you I don't, I'm a prophet, but I don't feel I need to be a prophet. I just need to be someone that is just making the declaration, just getting the words out there in the spirit. The place where you are as a community of people, is too small for you. And here it is. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make there a place that we may dwell and he answers go. So listen, Elisha now becomes a type of the Lord or a type of the Holy Spirit. It's like the sons of the prophets become a type of us who are saying to the Holy Spirit, it's too small. Let us go to the bigger place. But note here it says, let us go to the Jordan. And whenever you see the Jordan in scripture like this, it's a type of the, the river of God. The Jordan flows right through, or almost right through, Israel itself. It's symbolic of much. It's symbolic of John the Baptist and his, um, and his ministry, of, of Jesus being baptized, of an open heaven. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. The Jordan feeds Galilee where Jesus began his earthly ministry. It's the river of God. It's the river of God that we see in Ezekiel 47 when Ezekiel had his vision of the river and the man with the line in his hand and the river becoming so vast that you could only swim in it. And it's leading to the nations. It's the same river that John saw in Revelation 22, exactly the same river. It's the same vision. And John says that it, it flows from the throne itself. And at its source, it is crystal 
clear. It's a holy, holy, pure river flowing from the throne, but it goes to the nations. We cannot, we cannot ask the Holy Spirit anything else other than take me to the river. I need to dwell at the river. Now, there are some people who, who dwelt by the river and are not at the river anymore. Listen, we have, to, we have to find the river, dwell at the river, and stay at the river. We, we're river dwellers. You know, wind in the willows, ratty. Ratty was a river rat. And that's who we are. We are ratty. We are river rats. We love the river. We don't just visit the river at conference time. We just don't visit the river when we go to Toronto or come to revival fires. We are river dwellers. Look what it says. Let us go to the Jordan that we might make a place. Now, obviously, it's a bigger place because the previous place is too small. <clears throat> Let us go to the Jordan. Uh, now, I'm saying this about the river because in the 20, 24 years since the river broke out in my life, I have had seasons where actually I thought I'd be better over there and I've had to come back. I thought maybe I would be better there and I've had to come back. We need to resist the temptation to move away from the river. Where the river dwellers. And he says, Go. And then one of them says, No. <laughs> Please consent to go with your servants. <coughs> and he says, I will go. This is Exodus 33. When God says to Moses, This stiff necked people, Look, I'm, I can send an angel, and with one finger, he can just wipe out all, all the all the ites in your life. The Hittites, the parasites, the, the ites are there and the ites over there. We'll wipe them out. I can send an angel just to do it. You'll have no more enemies. They'll just make a, I'll just make a way and you can just go. Because I've had enough. Stiff-necked, I've had enough. I can just do it. So just And Moses said, sounds great, not to have any more enemies, not to have, I just walk right in, but not for me, not for me, I'm not going anywhere unless your presence goes with me. saying we have a lot of stuff around us that is producing what ap appears to be success here, success there and success there and victory here and victory there and victory there and it's like, whoa, surely God's with them because they're building that and they're building that but it's possible to do that and that and that without the presence it's possible to do that and as much as we're people of the river, we have to be people of the presence. We have to be like these prophets who say, I'm going to dwell at the river, 
and I'm not going anywhere without you. Moses said, I'm not going. Why? Because he tasted the presence. He knew the presence. He tasted and he saw that God was good. And once you've tasted the presence, it doesn't matter if God says, I'll give you 10,000 over here. Forget it. Unless the presence is with me. And unfortunately, a lot of the younger guys, particularly the younger guys, are going for that. They're going for the Hittites to be wiped out and the parasites to be wiped out and this and this to be wiped out and that to be wiped out and that to be wiped out and, and to have this facility and this big building and lots and lots of people. They've accepted the deal. But not us. Because we're people of the presence. In Exodus 33, actually Moses says, okay, the Lord says, okay, my presence will go with you. And he thinks, I'm just going to push this one. How about your glory? <laughs> See, there's always more. That's the thing about the presence. There's always more. He says, okay, we got the presence. It's good, but you know what? I think we can go for the glory here. I think we can just push it just a little bit further. And he goes, excuse me, excuse me. Thank you for your presence. <clears throat> I think he went, but show me your glory. <laughs> I think he just hid. It's like, I'm going to die here. No, show me your glory. And he says, I'll go. Why? Because, yeah, he'll come. The presence will come. The glory will come. And he says, I will go. So he went with them. And when they came to Jordan, they were cutting down trees. They were just making a clearing for the new place. But as one was cutting down a tree, an iron axe head fell into the water. And he cries out and he said, this is, this is ridiculous language. Alas, master! For it was borrowed. It doesn't make sense. It's like a last more. It's like what if, if an axe, if my axe head fell, I would I'd go, oh no, or something like that. Oh no, and it's like I wouldn't say alas, master. It's like something out of Shakespeare, isn't it? It's like, alas, master. For it was borrowed. <laughs> it was borrowed, which means it wasn't him. It wasn't his. It was somebody else's. And I'm stating the obvious, right? I'm stating the obvious. Because I think there's a reason why that which is borrowed doesn't work for us. We can think, if I'm like him, if I'm like her, if I can borrow that, if I can take that, if I can, if I can do the Benny Hinn, take it, take it, take it thing, then I'll be all right. And if I can do this and that, and we borrow, we borrow. And when you borrow, you haven't paid for it because you borrowed it. It's true, isn't it? You borrow something. Give me an iPhone. And now I'm going to use this. 
I've just borrowed it of Corey, but he paid for it. He paid the price for it. He counted the cost, paid the price, and bought it and owned it. All I did was borrow it. Corey looks after this like he really does. He looks at it, he's checking that screen every minute for cracks and, and scratches. He's doing this all the time. Right, because he paid for it. And one day he's going to sell it and he just wants to make sure. He, what, what, and uh, he's going to trade it in for a better one. And uh, he looks after it. He's, he's bought this little thing around it, you know, and, and it's stopped. If I, if I drop it, it, uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't break or anything like that. If I throw it away, or, and I, but, you know, if I've got it in my hand, it's kind of loose. It can fall any time. It can just, you know, and I mean, I could do that and I'd scratch it on my buttons and stuff like that. Why? Because not mine. And pay the price. Borrowed it. That's the problem when you borrow. You don't pay the price. And because you don't pay the price, you don't look after it. And that's all that was happening here with this axe head. That young man didn't pay the price for it. And so he just abused it. Didn't sharpen it when it needed sharpening. Didn't oil it when it needed oiling. And so he's trying to chop down trees with another man's axe. And if that axe head is our ministry and is our anointing and it's our gifting, then we cannot borrow gifting. We cannot borrow anointing. And if you try to do that, I want to tell you sooner or later, your axe head will fly off the, the shank. And you've got a problem then. Because all that's in your hand once that axe head goes is a dead stick. You ever tried chopping trees down with a dead stick? No, because you're not stupid enough to do that. You wouldn't even try it. But just supposing you do, and you would find out, actually, it's really hard work chopping trees down with a dead stick in your hand. But sometimes in ministry... What's in our hand and what should be in our hand is what we've paid the price for, counted the cost, and bought. It should be uniquely ours. It should be my gifting, my anointing, my ministry. And we should be chopping down trees and hearing the word timber. As tree after tree after tree falls. Timber, timber, timber. But we're not hearing it. All we're hearing is boom, boom, boom. As a stick, a dead stick in our hand bounces off a tree trunk. It's not working for you. Because it's meant to work for them. But God has something very unique for you very unique that only you can do an anointing that is uniquely yours and a ministry opportunity that is uniquely yours ah. but there's too many of us trying to chop down trees with a dead stick 
instead of hearing timber, were shouting, alas, master, for it was borrowed. There's a new anointing, or a new, let me rephrase that, a new opportunity today to pick up that which was lost. Because we have a fix for it. It's not here on earth. It actually comes from heaven. And Elijah, Elisha, oh, I wish there were Tom and Harry. I'm in a deal. Elisha says to the young man, where did it drop? He says, right there, right there. And he says, okay, we'll fix this. And the Bible tells us, I'm paraphrasing for time right now. He says, Elisha cuts off a stick. So he cuts off a live branch. Whenever you see that in scripture, there's the cross of Christ right there. He cuts off a live branch and he lays it over the place where the iron axe head fell. The cross of Jesus Christ has power to make iron float. And as he puts the branch over the spot where it fell, the iron axe head floated. Now, I don't know about Dudley, because it's a very clever place, Dudley. But in Sunderland, iron doesn't float. (laughs) Can it float, man? I'm telling you. It sinks to the bottom of the river. In Sunderland. But in Dudley, where the posh people live, it might float, but I suspect it doesn't. I suspect that the laws of science work equally against us here as they do up there. Iron does not float. Iron sinks to the ground. It's in the nature of iron when it's placed in water to find the bottom. But God makes iron float. See, God is not subject to the laws of science. No, he has his own laws. (laughs) The laws of science are for the people, earthlings like you and I. We move around this earth and, 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 and we're dictated to by, you know, night and day and 24 hours and uh, iron floating, no, iron sinking unless it's an iron boat with ballast and then it floats. No, there's laws. But God isn't confined to natural laws and he makes iron float. God makes iron float float and right there before his eyes an axe head rises from the riverbed throws off all of the debris the sand and the dirt and everything else and floats on the top and that can happen because just over 2,000 years ago the son of God holy peerless 
perfect in every way. Shed every ounce of his blood. Every last drop. To make iron float for you and I. There's power. Power. Resurrection power. In the blood. In the precious blood of the Lamb. And then Elisha says this. I'm going to end with this. He says, pick it up for yourself. Pick it up. You know why? Because it's floating in a river, that's why. See, when I'm reading the Bible, and I read things like this, here's the question, what does that look like? What does that look like? And that's the kind of theologist that I am. It's like, I want to know what did it look like, and then I want to build some theology around that. Because it looks like something. You see, I asked the question, why did he say, pick it up? Why did he shout it with desperation? Because that's how I'm, I'm hearing it. Pick it up. Because it's in a river. And rivers move. If it had been in a pond or a lake, maybe that wouldn't have been that desperation. But he says, pick it up. And here's, here's why. Here's why. Because if you don't, that guy downstream will. And that's it. You see, we're God's plan A. But sooner or later, somebody else will become God's plan A. Somebody more desperate than you to pick it up. And they'll pick up things that weren't theirs. They're yours. But they made them theirs. You see that anointing? That they're enjoying down there? Maybe they're doing it because it floated here and you actually didn't pick it up. I don't know about you, but I'm just one of these people that says, (laughs) get in line. Get in line because if it's for me, then it's mine. And if I hear God saying, but there's a cost to it, I don't care. I'll, I'll pay the price. I'll pay, if that's for me, I'll pay the price. I'll sacrifice what needs to be sacrificed because that's floating, not for you. It's floating for me. It's floating for me. <laughs> Ever thought why nobody else came to Dudley? Because these two are here. That's why. And they just said, we're here now. And I remember when they moved from Telford to be here. And they came and they said, right, we're here. And it was like, well, it's pointless being downstream here because they're just picking it all up. Now, there's nothing wrong with that because they didn't pick up somebody else's. They were picking up what was floating for them. And you know why Sunderland is what Sunderland is and what Sunderland has become? Because Ken and Lois racked up there and started just picking it up. It was floating. It's ours. Ah. And God's going to make iron float today. But he's not just going to make it float for the individual. I tell you, I'm just seeing now Something is about to come off the riverbed for this ministry. It's about to come off and 
And Brian, it's not just because you're sitting there, but as I was sitting there in worship, I felt, I felt the Lord say that you're here, not as them, but you're here to hear this. Because there's a bigger place for you, and I don't know anything about you, but, I, but where I'm not seeing it necessarily geographically here in terms of facility, it's influence. That's the bigger place. Your influence is going to extend. I felt I saw something physically for yourself that there's a bigger place coming that the Lord is providing that because you've actually said to the Lord it's too small I'm the place where I'm dwelling right now is too small for me to dwell <coughs> but it'll be with the it'll be at the river and it'll be with the presence What's in your hand? An axe that you've paid the cost, a price for, or is there a dead stick in your hand? Sharon? I wanna I wanna pray into this right now. And then I'll pray individually. And you're free to leave when we start that. I think we're going to have an offering before that. But before I hand back to Trevor, I just, I just want to just seize this moment. I don't ever want to hear myself say, Alas, Master, for it was borrowed. I've loved my relationship with Benny but I'm not Benny. My spiritual father after Herbert Harrison became Edsel Vosso, but I'm not Edsel Vosso. Trevor and Sharon are not Chuck Pierce. We don't want to be saying, alas, master, for it was borrowed. We want to be saying, timber, 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 we want to hear the crashing of trees through the branches. We want to hear that sound of wood cracking open. We want to, we want to witness the clearing, the bigger place being cleared by the river with the presence of God. But perhaps today you felt, you know what? I think in my hand, rather than an axe that I paid for, I have a dead stick. I need iron to float for me today. If that's you, stand to your feet right now. I need iron to float for me today. Just stand to your feet. If that's you. Now listen, this might not be recent history. You know what? I can look back over my life and if I was sitting there, I think I'd be on my feet because there's some stuff back there. 20 years ago or so, I think somebody else picked it up. It's like, God, 
Can we revisit? Can we revisit? And today, will you make iron float for me? Huh? Oh! Can you make iron float for me today? Lift your hands. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. The law of nature tells us iron sinks. But you are not confined to the laws of nature. You are the God that makes iron float. And so today, here in this place, for these people standing before you, we place the cross of Christ over that which sank from our lives. We know where it fell, when it fell. And in that regard, there have been times in our lives when we've been hitting wood with a dead stick. And it's been hard work. But today, Lord, because of the power of the cross of Jesus, today, Lord, make iron float. back bring that ability back into our lives and the prophet said pick it up so listen symbolically reach out your hand and grab it come on reach out your hand and grab it it's yours don't let anybody pick it up downstream it's mine today God made iron float for me and I receive it now. I receive it now. I receive it now. Oh my God, I just heard the Holy Spirit said, I called you to move in signs and wonders and miracles, not just healing the sick, in signs and wonders and miracles. Pick it up today. Oh, I just heard the Holy Spirit say, I called you to make inroads into education. I gave you an accent. I told you to pay the price because I didn't want you just to stay and just be one of the players. I wanted you to be one of the game changers in education. Pick it up again today. Pick it up again today. Hey. Social justice fell to the bottom of that river. I heard the Holy Spirit say, I called you to be a warrior for so not an eco warrior, not an eco warrior, a social justice warrior. I called you to that lifestyle. Pick it up again. Pick it up again. Thank you, Holy Spirit.